pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for the biblical narrative. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the good things um, that you are doing uh, through in our lives. And Lord Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for the flock that is gathered here today um, to feast uh, uh, um, at your table, um, to learn, to learn richly, to learn deeply. I pray, Father God, that today we will not just learn at a head level. We will not just learn um, um, at a heart level. We will learn also in a spirit level, Lord God, so that in every way possible, our whole being is engaged with what you are doing. So, Lord Jesus, take over. May I decrease, may you increase to the praise of your glorious grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today we are in tribes, but this whole year, uh, for 18 weeks, we are going through um, the big Bible meta-narrative, okay? And so, we begin, um, by the way, this isn't quite working. Is the internet having difficulties? I'm not quite sure, but um, my clicking isn't quite working. All right, it's a little slow. It's all good, right? So, a quick one-minute run-through of the whole Bible. God creates everything, and He creates in this everything a temple-like garden, which is called Eden. He creates man and woman in his image and he puts them, the image, into the temple as you would. And in so doing, um, he, he, he establishes that as his domain, right? Uh, to, to, to rule and reign for him. But they fall. See, they decide that they will call the shots on what is good and what is evil. And so, in the midst of their fall, everything starts crumbling down. People become wicked, violent. You know, God resets the whole of creation with the, with the flood at Noah's Ark, right? And then after that, they come back again. They try to, you know, like, a, like, like a virus that won't die, right? Um, uh, sin comes back again. They try to build a tower and a mighty city for their own name. God resets one more time, sends them out into into all the different parts of the world with their own languages and thereafter own uh, 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 ethnic cultures, right? And then God resets one more time. Now, this is a long, slow reset. He finds one man. From one man, Adam. From one man, Noah. Now, one man, Abraham. Okay? He's going to reset this whole salvation plan. And with this one man, he's going to grow him into a family of 12 sons. 12 sons are going to become 12 tribes and they're going to become the nation through which we shall go into ex exile in, uh, into slavery in Egypt, come out in the Exodus, conquer land, take territory, and then there'll be a season of chaos when everyone will do as they themselves see fit. They get kings, Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and then the kingdom splits into two. And as the two kingdoms go in their own way, God will send them prophets to say, come back, don't go your own way, but come back. And eventually, the whole nation becomes a failed state. It collapses. In the north, totally gone. In the south, they go to Babylon. They go into exile. After 70 years of exile, they come back to the land. But now there are other people living there. Now they have to bump up again, 
friends, new neighbors. And they wait. They wait in anticipation for their Messiah to come. And eventually, he does come. 400 years later, he comes in the form of a baby in a manger. He grows up to be a man, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus comes to proclaim a new kingdom and a new king is here. And thereafter, he goes to the cross, dies our sins for salvation of all peoples, and then the church is born. And today, you and I are living somewhere between this, pushing on into the day when you would call it the apocalypse, right? And so here we are in, this is the whole Bible story, right? The whole Bible story can, in a sense, be summed up this way. Today, we are here at the point of God turning Abraham into a tribe and the tribe into a nation, okay? Now, what I'm going to share with you, by God's grace, um, covers covered some of this ground in the past. So three years ago, we did an End Times Ezekiel series um, where I, talked, I looked at um, the parts of the end of Ezekiel looking at um, the tribes and the land allotment uh, for the different tribes in, in New Jerusalem, right? Um, and so or what is like New Jerusalem. Um, and, and so uh, that's been covered. And so today you'll see some of that content being, uh, coming back at you. If you've, how many of you were, were in Sungai Buloh Church in 2021? Raise your hands. Okay, good. So this is fairly new content for most of you. And for those of you who've been around, it's going to be a refresher in a way. Of course, last year at church camp, we looked at the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, and, and all the messy family things that took place. So we'll be there as well. Okay, now so here we are, right? Promise pushing into tribes. And three things, right? Three things you will see. God's going to use 12 different brothers, okay, okay, and take 12 brothers and turn them into 12 different tribes, and 12 tribes are going to become one nation, okay, and eventually, right at the very end in the book of Revelation, you're going to see hints of these 12 brothers again, okay, how many of them in Revelation? 12 plus 12. This is not 12 plus 12. This is not math, okay? It's not on the screen yet, okay? Um, by the way, if the slides are a little slow, it's an internet connection problem, okay? So if, the, if the Wi-Fi is a little wonky, uh, then, then I press, and then it takes like two minutes, and it comes on the screen. But y'all are good students, and I'll keep talking, okay? All right, so 12 brothers. Say 12 brothers. 12 brothers. Wow. Korang semua tengah tidur ni. Yeah, alright. You okay or not? You okay? I'm talking all the way till afternoon, okay? Because today got church history as well, okay? You guys good? Everyone say 12 brothers. Okay, become 12 tribes. And in the end, there will be 24 elders. Okay, 12 brothers, 12 tribes, 24 elders. Now, how many of you are familiar? What happens in the Abraham story? Okay, it is very visual. And if the team can click from the back, that'll be really helpful. Okay, um, I'm not sure if, if I'm going to bother uh, with, the, with the iPad clicking because, you know what, team? Uh, Clover, can you, can you just help me to click from, from, from the back? Okay, okay, 12 brothers. Let's go. First slide. All right, first black slide. Okay, yeah. Alright, you all know the Abraham story. If you're not, let me just give a one-minute recap. Abraham has a wife, Sarah. They can't have children. So Sarah takes her Egyptian maidservant, gives 
her to Abraham, saying that, look, God promised He's going to turn one man, us, right, into a nation. Stars, we counted those stars. We couldn't count for them all, right? How is it going to happen? She's going to give. You know what? I'm just going to pull this a little nearer. No, I can't. Okay, that's good. Okay, she's going to give Hagar over to Abraham so that he can, she can sire children for him. They do get a child. They get the son called Ishmael. And then later, God fulfills the promise, right? And in her old age, Sarah gets a son of her own as well. His name is Isaac, right? Now, just want to pause for a moment here and just point out something that I try to point it out whenever we gather and talk about Abraham and, uh, and Abraham's family like this because I think we know that Ishmael's family becomes the Arabic nations, okay? Um, and then their descendants, we are bumping up against their, their descendants today as well, right? Sometimes on our doorstep, okay? Just want to say something about this, a comment. Uh, you know, in families and Chinese New Year, it's time where we kind of deal with family issues sometimes, you know. They get up close and personal all over again. And in families, sometimes you, sometimes we are the least favoured one. Sometimes we are the more favoured one. There's always some form, weird form of perceived favouritism in families. In this family, one, one fa blended family, right? Because you're going to a, a messed up family. Um, they had to kick one side of the family out. It was almost like you could say the, the, trying to make the best of a really bad situation. And, and because of her thinking, she got a child. And she has no choice. She's a slave. Okay? For a slave to be told by the master, I'm going to sleep with you, she doesn't have a choice. And girls, you understand this maybe more than the guys. If you have no choice but to participate in a sex act, it's it's like rape, okay? It's, a, it's not called that in your Bible, but it's a very... And, and culture was... Society was ordered differently at the time. But she has no choice in this matter. She gets a child. She has no choice in the matter. She's kicked out. She has no choice in the matter. Now, we follow the family line as Christians of Isaac. I just want to say this one thing while we look at this slide we are from the family line that kicked the other side out. Okay? Now, I know God was sovereign and orchestrated the whole thing. Okay? So I'm not saying that it was a wrong thing. I'm saying as Christians, let's not be smug about it. Okay? If anything, let's be compassionate about it. If we ever see that there is bitterness, there is pain, there is rejection. There is a spirit of rejection. And you know how rejected people reject first before, so that they will not be rejected again? If there is a spirit of anger and retribution, vengefulness, if you see any of these things, I'm going to ask you, would you have fared any better if your ancestors were the one who was forced to, kick, to be kicked out? Forced to participate in something that you had no choice in? sired a child that you did not plan for and then forced to, be, to, to leave the family, would you and your descendants not be violent, angry, bitter, and full of hate? Now, I'm talking about this from a spiritual point of view. And I'm really sharing this with you, firstly, to make sure that you, you, you understand. I'm getting serious here. Okay? But also, also, that we can be compassionate. 
that we don't respond hate with hate, but we respond hate with a heart, with a heart to say that, hey, you know what? I, it's in my heart to bring back the unfathered back to having a father. We had a father. They had no father. Their father kicked them out. Our father kicked them out. You understand or not? You see the language not, okay? I'm going to pause there. I'm going to go on, okay? Isaac. Isaac marries a girl from his father's clan called Rebecca. They have two sons. Oh, every time there are two sons, there are problems, right? Okay? They have two sons, okay? Uh, and they are twins, okay? So Esau is the older, Jacob's the younger, okay? Um, and somehow you know through the story, Jacob um, usurps Esau twice. Once he buys his birthright symbolically, but very important, with that bowl of soup. And then the second time, he actually go, shows up when Isaac is all blind and about to give his blessings. Jacob shows up and pretends to be Esau, steals the good blessings, you know, the blessing of the firstborn, the covenantal blessing. Remember the promise given to Abraham, now passed on to Isaac, now Jacob's got it. He, in a way, pickpocketed his father of it. Father thought it was, he was giving it to his preferred son, you know, um, uh, uh, Esau. But not, okay? So Jacob goes along his merry way, okay, living what he thinks is a blessed life, but there's no blessing in his life at all, right? He gets, he gets rich materially and he's extremely poor uh, uh, relationally. Oh, everything around him is broken, right? And so we go to the next slide, right? You see Jacob's family. Jacob has two wives. Every time got two wives, got problem, right? Two sons got problem, two wives got problems, you know, because you will love one and you will love the other less. Right? And that's what he did, right? And so um, the one he loved less, God gave seven children, six sons and one daughter, right? And then and then Rachel couldn't give him children. So eventually both of them gave their maidservants to him as well, from whom two sons and two sons. And eventually God gave Rachel Joseph and God gave Rachel Benjamin, right? And so now he's got a huge family from Abraham one. Isaac one, you know, then Jacob, Esau, and then suddenly you've got 12. Next slide, right? So these are the 12 sons, right? These are the 12 sons of Jacob who gets renamed as Israel, okay? He gets renamed as Israel. Leah has these six sons, right? Bilhah, the Egyptian maidservant of Leah, Zilpah, the maidservant of Rachel, and then Rachel's two sons. Now, how many of you are familiar with the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Well, only my kids. <laughs> I'm, I'm at fault for that. Yeah, we got nobody. Only, okay, only, only like a small handful of you, right? So it's, uh, all right, boys. Yeah, kids. Yeah, got it. Um, and so I, I, I didn't grow up Christian, okay? I didn't grow up Christian, but I grew up with this musical. So when I was already a, just a, 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 like a 12-year-old boy, 13-year-old uh, boy, I was outdoing my Christian friends in knowing the names of all the 12 tribes of Israel because of there's a song, right? And, and I remember as a kid, I'm not going to sing it, I'm just going to narrate the lyrics. Um, Reuben was the oldest of the sons of Israel with Simeon and Levi the next in line, Naphtali, Isaac, Asher and Gad, Zebulun and Dan took the total to nine, Jacob, Jacob and sons, right? Um, Benjamin and Judah, which leaves only one, Jacob, Jacob and sons, Joseph, Jacob's favorite son, right? And so 
And so I learned that. So I, I, so these names are not foreign to me, even though at that time, you know, Yahweh, the God of Israel, was very foreign to me, right? And so here, this is how the family stacks up. I want to tell you a few stories about the different sons. Okay, next slide, right? Um, you see Reuben. Oh my gosh, Reuben, the oldest. Okay, um, he oldest is supposed to get the firstborn. Right, the firstborn rights. He disqualified himself from the start. Like from very early uh, on one occasion, he had he he had relations with his father's concubine, right? He he slept with Bilha, right? His brother's mother, right? Uh, his half-brother's mother. And so um, no children from that from, from that encounter. Um, but the father finds out. And then the father is enraged with him, right? And for good reasons, okay? And he loses his firstborn rights, which for some reason doesn't immediately go to Simeon, okay? Um, it just, he's, it's just there, right? It's almost like in this family, the firstborn rights is there for the taking and everyone's like doing so badly, no one's taking it, you know? And so let's go to the next slide, right? Let's see more stories from this. Oh gosh, this story. So they have a daughter, right? Dina, okay? I don't know if it's Dinah or Dina. I think that Dinah sounds very American. Um, so I'm going to go with Dina, okay? And so uh, Dina is uh, one day... Um, uh, a local Canaanite, okay, he's a Hivite specifically, a man called Shechem. He's a local prince of the area that Abraham is camping around in. And Shechem falls for Dina, okay? But unlike a Bollywood movie or unlike a Korean drama, um, Shechem takes Dina. And this is, again, the same language. Sungai Blow Church, y'all heard me share this for the last few weeks already. Saw and took Right when, when the sons of God saw and took the daughters of men, right? Or when David saw and took Bathsheba, it's always an act of sexual violence, okay? And so he saw and took Dina, right? And it's a rape story, straight up rape story, right? And so, and so what's going to happen, right? Shechem says to, the fam, to Dina's family, right? Oh, let me, let me marry her. I'm so in love with her. Let me marry her, right? And... Uh, the father says, or rather the brothers say, okay, you want to marry? Okay, these two brothers, Simeon and Levi, they hatch a plan, right? They say, okay, you want to marry, right? All of you must circumcise, like my family, right? Okay, like, like, like their family, right? Like, all must circumcise, okay? So all, okay, lo, can. Want to marry so much, his whole clan, all the Shechem people got circumcised. And then while they were like resting, day after circumcision, hari selepas sunat, right? <laughs> right? Simeon and Levi, the two brothers, came in, slaughtered the entire Shechem clan, right? Now, I'm not going to stand here and ask you, was it just rewards, okay? Because you and, like, if you ask Dina, I don't know what she will say, right? If you ask a man versus you ask a girl, I don't know if, you, if you're going to get different answers. What I do know is that there was a certain bloodlust in Simeon and Levi, okay, that God, working through the father Jacob, found excessive and ungodly, okay? And as a result of that, Simeon and Levi were, next slide, right? Simeon and Levi were cursed, in a sense, okay, to not inherit land, 
Okay, and further, moving on from this, if you can, let's, let's see the next slide. Okay, uh, both are cursed to be dispersed, right? And they won't have their own territory. Let's tell one more story, one more story. Um, many more stories. Uh, Judah, Judah, the fourth son, right? Oh, there's a very weird, very strange uh, uh, um, story. Uh, it's not strange once you understand that Genesis is about the promise and the promise is being passed down. It's not about jo Joseph being a hero, okay? Because this cuts into the middle of the Joseph story, okay? Chapter 36, 37 is about Joseph. Suddenly, 38 is like an ad break. It's like, ah, Pachitani, right? Okay? And then 39, back to the Joseph story. But this is to remind you that the promise is some weird thing happening with Judah. Now, Judah has, uh, um, has his own wife and he has two sons from that wife. And then Tamar, his daughter-in-law, right? Uh, um, I'm going to cut a long story short, okay? Basically, his sons die, okay? And then he has a third son. He doesn't really want to give her to his daughter-in-law, okay? Because I think he's superstitious. Get one, one more son die, right? And so he decides, you know what? I'm just going to delay this. But Tamar wants a child. And she wants a child from Judah's family, right? And so she masquerades as a temple prostitute. And then Judah, being the kind of guy who would visit temple prostitutes, okay, shows up one day, okay, and then ends up having, a, having relations with Tamar. He doesn't know who she is. Eventually, she sires two sons. And the interesting thing is that, again, two twins, okay, one stick the hand out, they tie a red cord, then stick the hand back in, and then the second one came out first, and then the first one came out second, you know. Who are they? Zera and Perez, right? And so, and so again, there's a reversal of birthright there, okay? And actually, the family line of the promise goes down through the younger son, Perez, okay? Let's move on to the next one. Okay, Joseph. Okay, so you know the Joseph story, right? Right? We're all familiar with the Joseph story, right? Young boy has dreams, brags about his dreams because his dreams pertain to like, you know, all the sun and moon and stars bowing down to his one star. Twelve bowing down to one. Eleven bowing down to one. Eleven sheaves of corn bowing down to one. It's like, what you think, right? Right? Brothers, Bosong. Essentially sell him off to slavery in Egypt and then he goes from prison, okay, to butler, right? And then back to prison or become a slave to butler, to prison and then out of prison to the palace, okay? And then oversees the economic survival of Egypt through a famine, okay? And through that famine, uh, Joseph's fa family come, okay, to Egypt to, just to trade, to buy grain, to live, right? And then the chance encounter and family gets reunited, father comes to Egypt, they settle there, okay? Now, there's some messed up family stories here in the Joseph thing, okay? And so, no time to go into it, deep dive here today, but when we do open book on Wednesday night, okay, we will be looking, deep diving into certain parts of Joseph's story, okay? What is open book? Open book is really my way of doing Bible study, okay, for all of you to equip the church to read and understand and study the scriptures, okay? So that's what we are doing, okay? For the cells, please come in. You will be sitting in your cell groups, okay? And, and so that you can discuss in a smaller level a bit more detail about the things that you'll be reading. All right, let's move on. So Joseph has two sons, right? And again, when the old man is old, you know, and, and releasing his blessings, you know, Joseph brings his two sons. First thing the old man does is he raises up, he adopts them into sonship. 
Now, you know from the book of Romans, adoption into sonship is something that we all have with Yahweh, right? Okay? Because we are not from this Jewish genealogy. We are like Malaysians, Chinese, Indians, uh, 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 other Asians, or other non-Jew, you know, you know, Hebraic peoples, right? So, the grandfather adopts the two, young, the two grandsons into sonship level. Okay, so equal rank with the uncle, uncle. Okay, and then when he's going to bless, he puts the hands across. So the right hand blesses the younger son, left hand blesses the older son, right? The father is like, no, 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 no. Appa is the other way around, right? Appa goes, no, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> So messy. So essentially, Ephraim becomes uh, the older brother, right? And we move on. And we move on, right? Let's go back. Let's go back to to look at this family. Oh my gosh! You're like that, that, that's Genesis. That's Genesis, by the way. Uh, the summary of the book of Genesis for you. Through the talking about the family members of Jacob, and really from this, I just want us to say, take a moment. And then rest in this thought and think that actually family life is difficult. Huh? I don't know. Is your family okay? Family is not like that. <laughs> Maybe your family is. Right? Maybe your family is quite like this. Let's see the next slide. Right? Um, family life is difficult. Right? Full of I've written here strife, full of feuds, grudges, breaks and splits. Triggers, repeating dysfunctional patterns, old wounds, bitter roots, just a lot of bad blood, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> my kids. Yeah, um, just, just, a lot, just a lot of, and the worst part is, the worst part is, you used to be mad love, right? You used to, you used to, you used to, you used to love each other, you used to like grow up as kids, you used to like have a lot of fun together, you know, and then you grow up into adult siblings, and suddenly all your differences start to show, and then you start to like annoy one another, and then start to compete with one another for affection, for inheritance, and all those things. But you know what? I know family life is hard, and maybe through this Chinese New Year, if family life is particularly hard across Chinese New Year, and maybe sometimes you dread, sometimes you purposely run away for Chinese New Year holiday, you know, get away from the from town because you just have to face all those old dynamics. But I want you to know one thing. Though family life is difficult, God does difficult. Amen? God does difficult. Your family is not too messed up for God to deal and to do a work in. Okay? Your own life, the new family that you're starting or that you have started, it's not so messed up that God cannot do the difficult work of working in it. In fact, it is precisely family difficulties that God experts in. Okay, so if you like, if you go to a clinic and you go to his door, right, and it's like, <laughs> Yahweh, right, and one, one of his one of his qualifications is right, family healer, right, because he works through a family. He could have like taken Abraham and done supernatural things and like just like you know keep passing it down one to one to one to one to one and then like suddenly oh Messiah, yay, you know. But no, God works through a line, a complicated family tree full of misfits and scoundrels and bad hats and uh, I, I, you would not have picked these people to be custodians of the great promise to send a Messiah into this family. You would not have picked them. And maybe God would not have picked us either, right? Um, but God 
is an expert. God is the OG of working through difficult family situations. And so I want to I, I want to pray with you, even in this short kind of like one third juncture of this sermon. I want to pray with you so that so that if any of you have gone through difficult family situations, it maybe it doesn't have to be just isolated to a CNY experience, but your ongoing family life is hard, right? Um, I just want to pray together with you. I want you to know before that, God sees the difficulties you go through. God sees when, when those comments come in, sometimes in a WhatsApp group or whatever it is, you know. He sees how difficult it is to just plan something without fighting. Um, he sees how, how you all may all be adults now, but actually sometimes when you meet, you're all like children fighting about underlying children problems, you know, um, uh, parental favoritism problems, uh, you had better opportunities than me problem, you were more loved problems, um, all those things, right? If you don't settle them before our living God, they will not get settled. They, I can tell you this, they will not get settled unless you settle them with a living God. With God who can reach in to your genealogy, reach into your bloodline, and then heal you of some of these wounds, some of these hurts, because if you don't settle them now, you will pass these things on from generation to generation, just like how Abraham and his dysfunctional wife situation got passed down to Isaac and his dysfunctional son situation, and Jacob with his dysfunctional 12 son situation, and then Joseph and Judah and all of them, right? And we don't want that. Let's pray for a moment. Let's just take a moment to pause. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Oh Lord Jesus, have mercy because we love our families but sometimes we love them and we can't stand them at the same time. And Father, I pray, Father God, I pray for your mercy over us immediately so that you just change our hearts, transform us from deep in us, uh, give us new hearts, new hearts for them new hearts for each other. Give them new hearts for us as well because we can be insufferable ourselves. Father, help us to be patient and gracious to one another. Help us to be generous um, with our love and lavish with our forgiveness towards one another. Help us um, in this season as, as believers of the promises of God to be different in our family. And if we are in a Christian family and we are all supposed to know Jesus and we are all still so messed up, then Lord, I pray, have mercy on us, Lord. And I pray, Father God, that in our respective churches, in our respective homes, in our respective um, devotional time, you speak. You speak and you, you cause our hearts to be open before you, to be vulnerable so you can... You can call us out wherever we have been unreasonable, wherever we have been unkind. And Father, if there are all things we need to, we need to release forgiveness over, I pray that you bring us to a place we can be. So Father, I pray into this kind of work which is deep and which cannot be settled overnight, but Lord Jesus, we are praying and asking for your good hand, your loving hand to keep us walking straight and right before you. We bring our families before you. Mother, father, brother, sisters, in-laws, and children before you. Lord Jesus, take over. Because in many days, on many days, it's too difficult 
too difficult. We don't know how to heal family wounds, but you know. So Lord, we turn it into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Twelve brothers becomes, next slide, twelve tribes. Okay, twelve brothers becomes twelve tribes. Now, so for the for the next section, when I talk about Reuben, when I talk about Simeon, when I talk about Levi, I'm not talking about the individual guy anymore. I'm talking about his whole clan, right? Who is known by that one grandfather's name, right? And now, so we're going to look and to accentuate that on the screen. Next slide. They are no longer all green color. Each tribe got their own color, okay? So I give them all their own color. And um, they're all going to be given land when they come out of Egypt and go into Canaan, except one brother. Which brother? Levi, right? You can see on the screen, I've given him, you know, uh, uh, just an outline box because he doesn't get territory. But Levi shall be represented in the tribe's in the territories of all the other brothers, okay? So in Reuben's land, there'll be Levites. In Simeon's land, there'll be Levites and so on, okay? Because the Levites become the priesthood, right? The priesthood. Um, and so what are we looking at now? Okay, next slide. You will see that from tribes, they go into Egypt, they come out of Egypt and now they're going to take land. Okay, and we're going to cover this um, two sermons from now, Okay. By the way, next week, we are in Exodus and our sister May, okay, who was here uh, directing the service just now, shall be preaching on Exodus. I'm so excited. We're going through. Come on, somebody. I don't know you guys are excited as I am. I'm so, I'm so stoked for May's sermon uh, next week, you know. And so, uh, we're going to be looking at the whole Exodus theme, right? And Exodus is not just one Exodus. There are Exoduses, uh, uh, pictures of Exodus everywhere in Scripture as well. So, I'm, I'm really stoked. But then they go, they conquer, they conquer land. And after they conquer land, there is a land division, allotment to all the different tribes of, uh, of Israel, right? Each brother's family family gets one big piece of land. Or rather, wow, why some brother got more land than others? On, huh? <laughs> this, is like, this is like recipe for future generations fighting, right? Wow. Now, you notice Joseph is now represented by Manasseh and Ephraim. In fact, if I can get uh, the broadcast team to just give us the previous slide, uh, one change and the previous one, uh, one big change is that there's no more Joseph, there's Manasseh and Ephraim, okay? So let's jump back to the, to the land division, okay? Um, you'll see that this is the land division, okay? As you can find it in the book of Joshua, okay? Now, um, some, now a few clan stories. Who wants to hear clan stories? Very messed up clan stories, right? Okay? Okay? Okay, Adam, you want to hear clan stories? I'll tell you a clan story. Okay, clan story about a tribe of Dan, right? Now, Dan is a smallish tribe, right? Okay. Um, one day, uh, you can see, 600 men from Dan go north. They, they go so north that they are actually outside of, um, of Israel's borders. They are not actually in any of their brother's territories, okay? Um, and then they plunder a civilian's home, right? Nothing on, huh? It's really it's like, it's like, wake up one day, like, come, let's go and be gangsters in this place, right? And then just go find uh, 
find a, a, a good old normal guy's home, plunder it, right? And then they go and, um, actually, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a priest, right? Okay? Um, and then they kind of make friends with him, and then they plunder him, you know? And then they, they, they go and attack a peaceful village, you know? And, and then they, they decide to make that their inheritance, right? Okay? And it's like, I thought you were given land, bokao meh, right? Um, apparently bokao, right? So this is why if you don't get enough angpao, please don't go and like kids, children, next generation, if you didn't get enough angpao, don't do what the Danites did, okay? Yeah, yeah, wait for your birthday. Yeah, that's the next chance to get angpao, okay? It, it, it is, it is. Your birthday is my birthday, that's true, son, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, yeah, me and my son, we share the same birthday, all right? Um, <laughs> Family stories. This is all about family stories. Next slide. Next slide, right? Okay, and the one after this. Tell you more, tell you more clan stories. Tell you more clan stories. Um, after this, I tell you a story about... Ah, so actually I show this to, to, to show you that. You see Reuben and Gat, orange and blue. Actually the river, the, the, the river, what's the river called? Oh my gosh, suddenly... Jordan. The river Jordan actually runs here one. Okay, along the border, okay, down through to Judah. Okay, so actually Gad and Reuben are on the east side of the Jordan. Okay, so they come, they conquer land, right? And then they cross the Jordan. Remember, they cross the Jordan, they cross from here to there, huh? okay, from, from right to left. Huh? Okay, uh, so they cross, and then Reuben and Gad stay on the other side, okay, and set up their kampongs on the other side, okay. Now, because Reuben and Gad are on that other side, if you go to the next slide, you will you'll see it visually. Because Reuben and Gad are on one side of the Jordan, the rest of the family are on the other side. You know family, when you all live nearer to each other, you are more involved, huh? right? And then the family that live in Singapore is like less involved, huh? right? It's a little bit like that. So Reuben and Gad is like the family who live across the causeway, okay? They are, like, they are a little less involved, okay? Um, but because of that, there's constant suspicion that Reuben and Gad are breaking away. Okay? That's just a constant nagging kind of like suspicion. But enough about Reuben and Gad. I want to tell you more stories. Now, this is a sordid story about Simeon. Okay? Oh my gosh. This is like, this is like not suitable for children. Okay? Now, um, on one, okay, you can, you can look at it in Romans 25 and Numbers 25. Okay? Numbers 25, there's a story of when Israel was all assembled. Uh, uh, Moses had assembled all of Israel. Uh, but you know that time they live in tents. Okay, they live in tents. And during the assembly, okay, there was the, the, the people from the Simeon tribe who, men from the Simeon tribe who took a woman and during the assembly, it's like during church and then somebody, you know, <laughs> somebody goes to, I don't know, the, the, the learning room outside or like, you know, the ping pong table there, you know. And... And there, and there is a scandal, right? There is a scandal because things that cannot be spoken in front of children takes place in the middle of the assembly, right? And then, of course, they are found out, you know, and excommunicated. No, they are found out and all that. But the interesting thing, if you look at, at population census, and back in there are several population censuses. Sense, what's the plural census? Is it censi? Census? Census? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Several population censuses. Okay. Uh, being taken, and from that, if you calculate the number, of course, they were like, oh, from the tribe of Naphtali, how many thousand? You know, from the tribe of Simeon, how many thousand? And you compare them, right? After this incident in Numbers twenty-five, Simeon depopulates like mad. 
So they immediately drop and drop and drop and then they go completely out of the narrative. Okay? So Simeon's tribe, you're right. Let's go to the next slide. Right? You are clicking intuitively. That's good. I like that. Okay? Okay? They, they are out of the picture. Okay? So this is not long into, in, in, into their history and they are already out of the story. Okay? So earlier when I asked you how many tribes in Israel and you're all like, 12, right? And then you didn't count that Joseph becomes Ephraim and Manasseh. So technically, it goes from 12 to 13. Okay? And then from 13 minus Simeon back down to 12. Okay? 13 back down to 12. Now, of course, at this point, okay, um, they all continue to live in the land and then they get kings. Right? Eventually, they get kings. And who are their kings? Who are their kings? Who are the kings of Israel? Saul. Right? Saul. And then... David, and then Solomon, and then split, right? And then split, okay? Solomon's son is called Rehoboam, okay? By the way, guys, this still doesn't really work, okay? So you still need your David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and then Rehoboam. The, you all know the story? Now, during so Solomon's time, the taxes were really high, right? Really heavy taxation. And so during the change of God, Right to Rehoboam, right? The people, all the tribes send delegations to meet with the new king, right? See if like, king, you good with us or not, right? Now, I want to ask you, they are united as one nation, really. All 12 tribes is one nation. But do they still have clannish uh, sentiments? How you know that they still have clannish sentiments? Pop quiz, pop quiz. Sungai Buloh Church plus Main Church. Wow, the, the, the collective wisdom here must be quite good. Leh. How do you know that there are still clannish divisions and tribal sentiments even after the kingship of David? Wow, why you are so susah, right? Okay, let me tell you why. Okay, Rehoboam entertains all the delegations from the, from, the, from the entire nation, right? The 12 tribes, right? And they say, can taxes come down a bit under your reign, right? Please tolong lah, right? We're very, very hard already. Under your father, very tialat already, right? Rehoboam seeks advice from his father's uh, uh, advisors, the uncle-uncle. Uncle-uncle say, lower the taxes, because you want their buy-in, right? You, want them, you, 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 you need their buy-in. You are not your father. You, know, you need their buy-in, you know. So, lower taxes, people happy, they support you, right? I asked my friends. <laughs> I asked all his young punk friends, right? His young punk friends gave him different advice. He heard, he said, I'm going with your advice. So, he goes to the 12 tribes and he repeats what the friends teach him to say. He says to them, My father's thigh is my what my baby finger is thicker than my father's thigh yeah if my father's can you with rotan i can you with scorpions yeah i'm gonna raise taxes what lower time i'm not even gonna keep it at this level i'm gonna raise it even higher so what happens to the tribes you know what they say you know what they say this is evidence that they are still tribal and and clannish attitude sentiments still strong okay House of what? House of who? David, right? David is from which tribe? Judah. The rest of them say, everyone to their own homes. Do we have any more part in the house of David? 
right? In other words, they, are say, they went asking, do you recognize the rest of us or not? Are our voices important to you or not? All these other tribes, I know you Judah, you're top dog, right? You are the one who promised, got king, got Jerusalem, got everything, right? Are we important or not? We tell you what we want, right? And then he says, I uncut the, the text even higher, everyone to their own home. We have no more share in the house of David. So everyone went off and there was a breakaway nation. The tribes in the north, okay, came under a guy whose name just happens to sound like Rehoboam. His name is Jeroboam, right? Okay? And if you're ever confused, I tell you, God has a way of just trying to like, you know, have a tickle with you, right? Okay? Um, Jeroboam is not royal line. He's uh, from the military, okay? And so he becomes their king and so on and so forth. Oh my gosh, now we got two kingdoms. If one kingdom was difficult enough, you know, now we have two kingdoms. Next slide, right? Let's click through. Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. Let's click next slide, right? Okay. Northern Kingdom is represented by Reuben, Gad, Dan, Zebulun, Ephraim, Issachar, Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh are now senior partners in the, in the Northern Kingdom. In fact, in some of the prophetic books, you'll see the Northern Kingdom being referred to as Ephraim, right? If I have, uh, one of the minor prophets is like, Prophecy against Ephraim. It's not just this clan. Okay? Something in the old in some of the minor prophets, prophecy against Ephraim. Ephraim, you have sinned against the Lord, is talking about this whole northern kingdom. Okay? And Ephraim being the senior partner in that in that coalition um, becomes a stand-in for all of your brothers. Okay? So it's one kingdom here. Southern kingdom is Benjamin Judah. Okay? And of course the Levites are everywhere. Okay. Now, what happens is Assyria, one click, okay? Assyria comes, is a northern enemy kingdom, okay? Comes, attacks Israel, one more click, completely takes them out and brings them up to Assyria where, now get this, they are completely mixed in with Assyrian people, they intermarry, Okay, and they are lost. As a group of people, they no longer exist. Okay, they no longer exist in a pure genealogical form. Once that's done, they come down to Judah to attempt to do the same. They almost, very almost do it, but by God's grace, He protects them and blocks. Okay, so God blocks it. So Assyria, next click, go back home empty-handed. Okay, Judah is protected and safe. But not for long Because if they can stay with God God will continue to bless them But they don't stay with God You see There are more and more kings Who keep doing wrong Okay And so God sends another nation Next click Okay uh, Babylon Coming from the east Okay To attack them And what do Babylon do? One click Okay Bow them all Okay Okay and then bring them to Babylon lock stock. But the difference between Babylon's approach and Assyria's approach is when Assyria brings them back, okay, they mix them into the people, okay, and then they cachot them. Okay, they cachot them until as a as a racial group, they become so mixed blood that cannot already, right? It's like Hilang already. Okay. What happens in Babylon though? Next click, okay, is that they form they end up forming their own kind of like Jewish ghetto, okay, okay, and I and I use that word kind of like with, with, with remembrance of what the word comes from, okay, uh, a Jewish sub-district, okay, where all those people that we captured from Judah just stay in that little area, okay, and they stay there as their own, so they marry among themselves, they have children and grandchildren even among themselves. Seventy years they are here, right, 
and eventually, but meanwhile, meanwhile, people are, next click, populating the land back home that was left empty. Okay? And then there is a regime change, right? Click, next click. Okay? There is a regime change. Babylonian kingdom becomes the Persian kingdom, right? And Persia has different foreign policy. Persia's foreign policy is Please, I don't want to hold you in my house. I send you back home, please. Can I not? Okay? Okay? So I send you home, right? So Judah goes home now. And that's where you get the stories of Haggai and, and, and Nehemiah and Ezra and all these fellas going back, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city walls and all those things, right? They go back. And now, next click, they have to bump up against new neighbours, right? And this is not the only, of course, but one of the reasons why there is conflict in the Middle East is because every time the Jewish people leave the land, right, and the land is left vacant, people occupy, right? And if, you, if people occupy, and that becomes their home, and you come out from there, and I've never seen your face before, you come and you say, this is your land, you want to take this land, I fight, lah, right? Or I say, no, lah, right? But you coming back will say that, no, 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 you don't know the backstory. I'm like, I don't care about your backstory. Like, no, no, no. Actually, my God gave this land to me. It's like, I don't care about your God, right? And so you have a little bit more sympathy for the, the condition of the way the world is today. Now, this is not geopolitical. I'm not asking you to take one side or another. I'm merely pointing out to you that the things that happen in the world today have their roots going all the way back. And today, later in church history, you're going to see that Jerusalem gets sacked in AD 70. Jews get banished from Jerusalem uh, um, uh, uh, so many times. They're thrown out of that land so many times. Like So many new groups of people come in to populate that land, you know. And then and, and, and they keep having to come back and say, like, please, please, you don't know the backstory. This is my land, right? And so it goes on. All right? I don't want to keep uh, I don't I don't want to belabor this point too much. But really, pastorally, this is my heart. This is my heart for you, right? Do you long for something that's familiar? That you have lost? Because that's what Israel had lost, right? They, they had lost that that familiness, they had lost that tribalness, they had lost some brothers, okay? And now they are not the same as what they used to be anymore, right? By this point in the story, they are just not who they used to be. Now, I don't know what's happened in your life. Maybe you had a semi-charmed childhood and then life took a really hard turn. And across your adulthood, you've wondered like, hey, you know what? I wish I had that back. Maybe life was better because you were financially more stable as a kid. Or maybe you're financially more stable in a, in a certain section of your adulthood and then things went south. And because of that, your plans for your own life, your, for your marriage, for your children or, or your father's plans for you, all of those things had to change and take a turn. Maybe you were once happily married and now you're either happily, unhappily married or just unmarried, right? And, and I don't know what it could be for you, right? But for most of us, if you were to look back at your life, there was a time when you might say that, hey, or maybe for some of you, it's different, right? It was a really bad uh, uh, time and you're actually living in so-called the best days of your life right now. And if, if that's what's happening for you, brother, sister, I'm really happy for you, right? And, and it's God's blessing over you. But I want to say this because some of us look back at things we've lost and we say, you know what? God, I wish I could get it back, Right? I have, this, I have this for you. I want you to know that God will restore. He doesn't just restore, alang-alang restore. But God will restore and I want to encourage you to look up. 
I want to encourage you to look in, and I encourage you to look on. Right? Why do I say this? I say this because I believe that every good thing, and I and we see this traces of this in our scripture. Every good thing that God has put into your life, God can restore back their goodness and an approximation of that thing, a good version of that thing, a best version of that thing, a redeemed version of that thing. You know, how many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia? Right? Right? Okay? You're familiar. If you're familiar, then you will know that in the last book, right, called The Last Battle, there is a scene, no, let's go, let, let's stay on the slide before this. In the last book called The Last Battle, um, Aslan the lion, who is the Jesus figure, rolls up all of the created world, which is the all of the Narnia that the children, the Pevensey kids and everyone had known, you know, all the animal friends and everything across five, previ five previous books, or is it six previous books, right? Um, uh, Aslan rolls everything up, almost like a, like a rug, right? Okay, and the whole thing is like destroyed and they're like what happened to Narnia right the Narnia they love right and then God brings them to another place and that other place is like a realer Narnia a better Narnia the true Narnia was where God had brought them, right? Where Aslan brought them. And when they went there, they saw again the same brook, but better. The same mountain, but better. The same this, but better. The same that, but better, right? And they saw, and Aslan told them, and I'm going to use a, in different words, but Aslan essentially told them that this was the real thing. The one that you saw is a copy of this. The one that you lived with was a version an imperfect version of this which has always been here with me and this has always been the perfect version that you were going to inherit when you were done with the copy you were going to inherit the original and you, have inherit, you are inheriting the original now says Aslan, right? And Lewis develops this theology, right? And it's not from nowhere and I'll tell you why it's not from nowhere, right? When God brings His new kingdom down from the heavens after everything is done and Satan has been decisively dealt with for all eternity, God sends something down. And He sends something down and it's not a totally new thing. I know Isaiah says in 65, Behold, see, I'm doing a new thing, right? I'm doing a new thing. But His new thing looks like one of the old things. What's the name of this city that comes down? New Jerusalem. So, if that is New Jerusalem, then the new thing has traces of the old thing. Or rather, more correctly, the old thing is pointing forward to the true new thing that we have not seen yet. Does that make sense? So, I want to encourage you. Have you lost something good in your life? Have you lost loved ones in your life? Have you lost a time, a place, a memory? an important thing in your life. And kids, I know your answer right now is no, okay? And I just want you to know that as you grow into an adult, you know, it's normal that as you grow into adults, you will lose things that are precious to you, right? Um, and it's going to be normal. You, as kids, you're going to have to learn how to adapt and how to roll with those punches, okay? And then you grow into adults, right? Where are those things? Where's the perfect copy of those things, right? I like to posit that God has goodness, a perfect version of every good thing that we loved and know, 
a copy of it. Now, I'm not saying that your unsafe mother is going to be in heaven. That, that's not theology I'm teaching, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm saying that God restores. God redeems. And we don't know how it will look like, but God returns back the goodness and the best things in that other shore. Okay? Okay? And so, how do we know? Because we know that, for behold, I create new heavens, right? A new earth, former things shall not be remembered, but be glad, rejoice forever, right? In that which I create. I create Jerusalem. It's not Revelation 4, by the way. This is Isaiah 65. Yeah? Okay? Yeah? Bill, always fact-checking me. That's good, okay? Let's move on. Twelve brothers, we're going to close. We're going to close, right? Twelve brothers becomes twelve tribes. Twelve tribes become two tribes, <laughs> Judah and Benjamin. And then in Revelation, suddenly you see 24 elders. But before we get into the elders, I want you to know that even at the time when Ezekiel was in Babylon, right? One day he gets a vision. And God gives him a vision of the land allotment for Israel. It's like, eh, I thought land already allotted and lost, right? All lost. So, all lost. Everybody lost the land already, right? Now here we are in Babylon. What land to allot? God says, no, I allot land for you. What does the land allotment look like? Next slide, right? The description of land allotment. Next slide, yep. The description, oh sorry, I can click now, is it? No, I can't. Oh, yeah. The description of land allotment is like this now. Wow. Like color bar like that, right? Each tribe will get its territory. Interestingly, the sons of the wives are in the center, right? The sons of the of the of the concubines are on the top and bottom. Yeah? And right at the center is all the sons on your land. You'll notice that here, there is this thing called the holy portion. I've colored it with Levi's color, right? Okay. In the holy portion, okay, if y'all can click for me, okay. In the holy portion, there is a city. There is a district, okay, with different city districts. And right inside the holy portion, there is a city. Now remember, pause, pause first, okay. Remember, 12 tribes became two and everyone else is gone from human history, right? Inside this holy portion, there is a red-coloured wall city. I colour it red, okay? It's not actually a red city, okay? There is a city. And that city is called Yahweh is there. And in that city, there will be 12 entrances, three on each side. And each of those entrances has a name. Every one of those entrances is named after Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Asher, Gad, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph. No more Ephraim and Manasseh. Eh? It's Joseph. Eh? And what that tells me is that actually in the final things, actually some of the dysfunctional things that we as humans do, God corrects it and untangles all our crisscrossing and our messed upness. God undoes it and He restores back. He restores Joseph back to the rank of his brothers and his sons are not in the picture. Simeon is restored back to have a seat at the table where at one point he disappeared. Finally, Levi and Simeon get to inherit their own doors, Right? They have a place in the family properly. The family is together again, represented through the entrances of a city. And I want to say this to you. 
if in your own life you have seen estrangement, if in your own life you have seen broken, broken families, broken whatever, you know, that God, in the end, in the end, He builds a new family. He builds a new family out of us. And sometimes our earthly families fail us. And sometimes they can be put back together. Sometimes they can't, right? Like Humpty Dumpty. Sometimes all your best efforts cannot put it back together. But God is building something new. And in this something new, He's birthing relationships. And He's birthing ties that He's going to carry it all the way till the end. And when we cross that shore, who knows what we will find there. But we will find a good thing. And then, a strange thing happens. In this same end time scene, in this same new heavens kind of scene, okay, there's a picture of it in, in Revelation of what? 24 elders, right? 24 elders around the throne were 24, the throne of God, were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. And whenever the living creatures give glory to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down, and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. This is a picture of 24 elders who praise and worship God all the time. They are in love with God. They are the ones leading the prayer, leading the worship, leading the falling on the knees, right? They are the ones who are fully all in with God. Who are these 24 elders? Now you're doing the math. Now you're doing the math, right? Now, quite a lot of biblical scholars and pastors believe, I'm just going to show you, okay? The thinking is that the 24 elders represents the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 brothers, the 12 sons of Israel, and the 12 apostles, right? The 12 apostles. And they had, these guys had their own drama, okay? One dropped out. Y'all know who were not dropped out, right? It had to be replaced, right? So, so they had their own versions, right, of, of, of a bit of compositional drama. 12 sons of Israel, 12 apostles of Jesus coming together to worship Yahweh forever. This is a picture. It's a composite picture. What's it a composite picture of? It's a composite picture of 12 leaders who forms the narrative of the Old Testament and 12 leaders who form the narrative of the rest of the people in the New Testament. Right? It's a composite picture of God's work through the Jewish people and how he grows a Jewish people and sets them up to be the light of the world. And yes, they failed to be the light of the world and he still has salvation planned for them. And you can see that their leaders at their very end in heaven, right, are worshipping Yahweh, their God. But at the same time, grafted into this story are 12 leaders who represent the Gentile church who are actually all of us, huh? We are the Gentile church, the non-Jewish church, right? And that's who we are, right? If you want to say that downline, our downline is here, right? And they represent the rest of the world who were supposed to be drawn towards Israel when Israel becomes a light to all the nations. But Israel was a very dark kind of light to the nations in those days. And so they never drew people to them in worship. They drew people in them in warfare, right? And so, and so now who did the work? The apostles of Jesus went out and brought the nations in. And so today, we are part of that story. I want you to see this because whatever your 
sentiments about God's redemptive plan, right? And how he starts by using the nation Israel. And that's why sometimes you hear people say, oh, they are the chosen one, they are the chosen one, right? Okay, they chose them for this purpose, right? To be a light to the nation. And then when they didn't do that, then God also chose the disciples to go out, right? And ask them to go out and then fulfill this, complete the work that he had started. And so when they completed the work that they had started, we all come together to become one big family. Represented by who? Our leaders and our leaders here worshipping God, leading us into worship, falling before God's throne, leading us into falling before God's throne forever and ever. Now, I've swept through a lot of Bible, okay? And I just want you to know this one thing, last slide, that God is healing. God is healing, okay? Whatever God is, whatever is happening, the world is painful, difficult. The fallen nature is hard. To live with the fallen nature is full of decay and even sometimes when it's not obvious purpose intentional sinning it is just decay and 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 just things just fall apart but i want you to know that god is in the process of restoring things in your life and whatever mess that you feel that you come to church with i want you to know that you are not in a bad place you are in the best place possible to bring your mess because Jesus himself said, it is not the righteous who need a doctor, it is the sick, right? And so, this is a place that is safe, okay? And maybe I can tell the team that y'all can move this for me, right? And I can have the worship team on stage, right? This is a place where we can come to be broken. We can come here as wounded people, as broken people, as hurting people, as dysfunctional families. We can come here as uh, uh, people who don't have to show like, oh, my family is all together. And here we are on Sunday all dressed up nicely and we got it good. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. How's business? Great. You know, how's your children? Fantastic. You know, and then you go into the car and you start yelling at them like, what are you doing? And then your husband and wife starts getting at each other's throats. I told you just now, I'm going to leave earlier. You took too long. And then, you know, hey, you know what? Can church be real? Can we, can, can we foster a, a, a place of authenticity and honesty here? Where you can walk in and you don't feel like hallelujahing and you don't feel like amening, you know? And you just want to sit and chill by yourself for a bit in the gentle presence of God and nobody's going to come to you and say, come on sister, why don't you hallelujah with me, right? No need, it's okay, right? That you can come in with tears and not feel ashamed. You can come in with a black face and not feel like you don't belong. I know that the atmosphere of God's congregation is supposed to lift you to the next level. I know that and it will and that's, that's what we're all here for, right? Is that we don't just want to sit in our not okay because it is okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to just stay there, right? And so it's okay if you're not feeling that great to just come to church and just be with God in tears, in brokenness, in hurt, in whatever it may be. And then to allow God to take you, heal you, and do the next thing, to do a new thing in your life. Amen? Let's close our eyes. And as the, as the worship song is being sung over you, your promise still stands. Right? Your promise still stands. 
I just want you to be ministered to. You don't have to stand up right now, but maybe you could get the lights to go off, right? Uh, um, let's just allow the song to minister to every single one of you. You know, I know if I get you to stand up, you'll raise your hands, you'll start singing lyrics, and then for half of you, it'll be karaoke. I don't want that, okay? I want the Lord to minister to you right now. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your goodness, for your... Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you care about us, that you care about our families, for us, our estranged marriages, you care about them, for our children who have walked away, you care about them, for our parents who are far from you, you care about them, for ourselves who are lost, you care about them. Father, you care about every part of our families. And, you, and you, you are using us in your family of God to bring these pieces back together. We speak life and we speak healing into them. And at the same time, you're growing a new thing in our midst, a family of faith who will be like brothers and sisters with one another, who will be like mums and dads around us. Some of us need to be re-fathered and re-mothered because what you had growing up was a broken version of what you hoped you would get and if that is you i pray that in this place that you will be refathered by the many fathers who are here and remothered by the very by the many mothers who are here and that's what church is supposed to be and for some of you you've never known joy among your siblings you've never known what it's like and in this family of God, this becomes a surrogate, a new version of a home and a new version of a family where you can re-learn what it means to be a brother or a sister, to be a koko or, a, or, or, or something like that. And here we are, God's people, being melded into this new strange thing called the church. And I want us to know that God has a good plan for every one of us here in our church or back in whatever church or wherever you come from. God has a plan for every one of us and it's a relational plan it's not just a plan to show up and listen to sermon and study and underline and highlight and learn things so that we can walk away with no friendships and no brothers and sisters He brings us into a family for family He brings us into a congregation for relationship and that's why online if you guys can show up here I love for you all to show up here physically because online well, you can't fellowship online there's only so much flesh and blood we can reproduce in a Zoom chat. Come and be part of a body of people, of a little tribe, if you can say. God's little tribe here in Sunai Pulau. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance towards you and give you shalom. And all of God's people say, Amen. All of God's people say, Amen.